Hello, Texans, and welcome to NRG Stadium, the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you tonight, and we hope everybody tries to do their best to stay dry tonight and throughout the weekend. I live in Sugarland, so I had the flood situation the other night. I know how it goes, so everybody be safe. Do the best you possibly can, and we're praying for everybody who might be in harm's way with the rains coming. Anyway, it's time for Texans Radio, so let's get to it, Johnny. I've got some stuff for you tonight. Oh, yeah, because we I have like um, we had a meeting here yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the NFL's 100th birthday, which is very cool stuff, by right. the way. The Bears and the Packers. I love it. Yeah, they're going to meet on the Thursday night prior to opening weekend. So it's really opening weekend. It's the it's not even the hors d'oeuvre. I mean, this is it. You go right into the main course: Bears and Packers, and all the expectations for the Bears and mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers. And it's fun that we'll be at Lambeau Field to play the Bears in the preseason. Anyway, a few weeks prior to that, but that's the opener. It's 100 years, uh, but everybody's celebrating because it's a big, gigantic sort of family birthday for the NFL. So mm-hmm. the Texans are doing their thing too, and it's a fantennial. The fans are involved, but we're going to have the 100 top moments. I'm not going to say greatest because you know you get into the the second fifty. Yeah, it's I'm, I can't call some of these the greatest moments, but they're the top moments in Texans history. Not just plays, but things that happen right. on and off the field, and maybe Texans Care Volunteer Day is a top moment because yep. it means so much to the community and things like that. But that's going to launch in late May as we count down 100 days till the opener. So we had a meeting about some of these, and of course. The debate started raging about what are the top moments. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Okay. Of course, the league has their top moments. And in a video we saw in an internal meeting here today, a gigantic meeting with all the business ops, the league is running this promo video that I think has been on NFL Network. I've seen it a couple of times at the NFL owners meetings and such. You saw it today, I know, and maybe a couple of more times. But they were talking about... 100 greatest moments, and the fans are going to vote on that. And the two highlights they showed, and I always say this, what were the two highlights they showed when they were previewing that they're going to have a fan vote on the 100 greatest moments? Macular reception. Right. And the catch. And the catch. Those two. Those those two. Do you think anything is replaced or anything goes in front of those two? Does the Tyree catch go in front of those two? Does the Santonio Holmes catch in the Super Bowl? And, you know, what I find interesting about those two moments they're not in a Super Bowl. Those are not Correct. Super Bowl moments. They are playoff moments. They are not Super Bowl moments. The catch was in an NFC championship game. The uh, Raiders and Steelers' immaculate reception was in a divisional round, I believe. So yeah. it is not a far-fetched to say that the greatest moments are not necessarily Super Bowl moments, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well, if you think about we're celebrating 100 years in the NFL, but right. we've only had 53 Super Bowls. I think mm-hmm. so. We had forty-seven years without without a Super Bowl, and I think that math is correct. But so I'm not totally surprised it doesn't come from a Super Bowl. But if you think about you think about the history of the NFL, and you think about I have one moment I would put in there because it's one that I learned growing up as a kid an Ooh. hour north of Green Bay, Ice Bowl. Yeah, and the reason that I think if you if you if you think about the teams, I got another one too. If you think about which, the great, I, I think I know which one is the other one. But let's get into the ice the great first. dynasties. The great dynasties have all had a a, a signature moment. Yeah, the catch was it for San Francisco. Yeah. and and the immaculate Definitely. reception was it for Pittsburgh. The catch kicked it off for San Francisco. The the Steelers ended up getting. Here, here's a lot of people forget the Steelers lost the next week to the Dolphins, mm-hmm. and the Dolphins were seventeen and zero. That was the seventeen and zero team, but the immaculate reception was kind of Pittsburgh's. 
it was Pittsburgh's first opportunity in the playoffs ever. They have been such a downtrodden. That's what people forget. The Steelers were a downtrodden franchise for the longest the time. The longest time. They were a laughing stock, really, mm-hmm. in, in the NFL. Then, in 1969, Chuck Knoll takes over. They draft Joe Green. They draft Terry Bradshaw. Uh, they drafted so well. Franco. 19, they drafted Franco Harris in 1972. And so, he... Because he's Italian, he really spoke to the people in Pittsburgh. Like they, Franco's army was a big deal. So that seventy-two team sort of kind of caught the, kind of caught the imagination of the NFL in some sense. Like, hey, look at this team; it's new. And then the next year, they got back to the playoffs, got beat again. But then it was in seventy-four when they started breaking through. But seventy-two was kind of the announcement. Here they come: the Ice Bowl in Green Bay, the coldest championship game there's ever been, was the opposite it was the end of the era for green bay green bay had been great throughout the 60s but it was that final moment of everything you talk about as a champion and i thought about this last night watching the warriors but they go on to win the super bowl after they went on to win the super bowl but it was like that moment against the cowboys where the cowboys were younger better yeah fresher they were everything but they weren't the cowboys yet right they weren't but they were on their way they were going in that direction and the packers trail them in this game, and it's such a legendary drive that caps with Bart Starr with the touchdown. Now, they go on and win the Super Bowl. Lombardi retires. The trophy's named after Vince Lombardi. Uh, so those the 60s Packers, the 70s Steelers, right. then you've got the 80s 49ers. Those are all moments that kind of signify and are signature moments for those franchises. So here's another moment. Okay. Controversial, though it may be. Oh, gosh. where Are you going here with the Patriots dynasty? I am. And it's the tuck? Yes. You know, because I was going to say that. Think about it. Well, that's like a dubious moment, though. But I is mean, it? You, but is it? I mean, so is the Immaculate Reception. Think about it. It's, but it's a legal play, the Immaculate Reception. Well, it was thought not to be. Because if, Why? Because back in the 70s, if a pass was tipped by your team right. and not touched by the other team, you couldn't catch it legally. So that's what the controversy always oh. was, was that when Jack Tatum hits Frenchie Fuqua and the ball goes flying backwards, the thought was that Tatum never hit the ball. And because he never hit the ball, it's an illegal catch at, at that time. At right. that time. Now, all bets are off. It's a live ball. ball. Never right. hit the ground. But that was the controversy, and that's mm. the, what the Raiders have well, said. Well, you know what John Madden always used to say about that play? Which was? The officials never signaled touchdown. They never did. And he got upset. Right. And they literally walked over and called up. And they said, what did you see? And they were like, well, and they didn't Wait, know. I, they called up. They, they, yeah, they, they called did? Up, they called upstairs. I didn't know this. They called upstairs. I need to see that documentary because I did very, not know they good. made a call upstairs. They're allowed to call upstairs in 1970-whatever? They, they were at that point. Okay. They were at that point. So that was the controversy with that moment. Mm-hmm. So there is plenty of controversy with that particular moment. But right. I've thought about this often. Let's say the tuck rule doesn't happen. Let's say the replay is upheld. The Raiders win that game. Yeah. What happens to Brady and the Patriots? Well, are you saying Bledsoe comes back? I well, don't think so. That's the that's the thing. I don't Does think so. Does Bledsoe come back? Because they had paid him a lot of money. They, I think it was in 2000. Mm-hmm. They paid him a lot of money. So that's 2001. So he's a couple years into his deal. It would have been really interesting had they not. Look, they win the division. But then they lose the playoff game to the Raiders right out of the shoot. I mean, there would have been no good feelings really about Tom Brady at that point. No great feelings. Right. Maybe some good feelings. Right. After all, it is New England and, you know, weird things happen. But it's an interesting point because Brady 
played in 15 games, started 14 in 01. That was 01. 2,800 yards, 18 touchdowns, 12 picks. Mm -hmm. Those aren't big numbers. And Drew Bledsoe put up big numbers. Oh, he did. Exactly. Here's the thing about, I think, the tuck rule. There's something, there's something about that tuck rule that triggered something in Brady. Because prior to that tuck rule, you just, you just gave his numbers. Yeah. There really wasn't a game in the 2001 season where you go, okay, that's the Tom Brady that we would grow to know. And even in that game against the Raiders, he was not playing exceedingly well. Right. But after the tuck rule, after the ball was given back to the Patriots, they went in two-minute mode pretty much for the rest of the game. And that's when we saw Tom Brady. It was like that tuck Interesting. rule kicked Tom Brady into a different gear, so to speak. And the numbers go way up the next year. 3,700 yards, exactly. 3,600 yards. He's in that zone. Yes. And the touchdown pass is way up after that. And even though the next year they don't make the playoffs, yeah, they didn't right? make it that was the last year they missed it. Yep. They don't make the – well, they missed it with Tom Brady because right. they missed it with Castle, but they were 11-5 and five that right. year. Uh, even though they don't make the playoffs – that following year, he does put up some nice numbers. So interesting because you would never call the tuck rule one of the greatest moments in NFL history. It might be a significant moment because of what you just described. Right. But as controversial maybe as the Immaculate Reception might have been, it still is one of the greatest moments. We didn't mention another one. The Colts-Giants 1958 overtime yeah. championship game. Polo Grounds or Yankee Stadium? Yankee Stadium is the first time a game, a, a championship game went to overtime. Okay, and, and that that was huge at the time. It was incredible. I mean, first of all, you're talking about the Giants. And by the way, it's before my time, so everybody shut up. It's well, before my time. I was not around for that. I was not an embryo. I was nowhere, okay? It, it's one of the games I've studied for a long time to, to see the impact of that game and why it, was, why it was such a great moment in NFL history. I mean, first of all, you had Johnny Unitas, and that was really kind of the advent of the two-minute drill. That He had yeah. to bring them back, and they had to score – to tie the game and get it get it close, but the Giants were the Giants at that point. New York was that was Hollywood, man. It was it was Frank it, Gifford was a huge star. There really weren't a lot of teams out west. Yeah, and you know the Rams were out there and they had made some noise in the fifties at, at the beginning of the decade, but really it kind of slowed down by that time. The Giants had taken over because New York had become a media market. Mm-hmm. Gifford, Charlie Connerly, mm-hmm. Kyle wrote. Those guys were all on the cover of buildings, magazines. They yeah. were all in TV ads. Cigarette ads. They were all over the place. The Giants, at that point, had become America's team. Mm-hmm. And here the Colts were coming in with Johnny Unitas and the team that was laden with Hall of Famers and went in there and, and knocked them off. And to this day, I have, three, I, have, I have three photos from the NFL that I, I just love. I love their black and white, and one of them comes from that game. The other two, Y.A. Tittle, when he's in the end zone, 1964, he gets sacked in the end zone. Oh, blood. And he's on his knees, and there's blood coming down. Famous photo. Charlie Bednarik knocking out. You've got that one, too? Frank Gifford. Those, those are iconic photos. Yes. Those are, those are two I, I absolutely want. The third one was in that game when Gino Marchetti, RIP, who just passed away recently, broke his leg in overtime of that game. All, uh, uh, Hall of Fame defensive end. Unbelievable player. Broke his leg, and he's on a stretcher, and they won't. He won't let them take him out of the stadium. <laughs> he's sitting on the sidelines, and he's sitting facing one direction, and he's turned back watching the game. And it's this incredible photo. He's like, "You're not taking me out. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching this." And so that would never happen today. 
But no. he's sitting on the sidelines on the stretcher, and he's just watching the game. He has this look on his face like, you know, he's kind of like gritting yeah. through his teeth. It's an amazing photo. So significant. It's so incredible. So, yeah, there's no question that 58, that uh, Giants-Colts is, is unbelievable. And I think what in our society has become the Super Bowl doesn't get to the Super Bowl without, without, all that. without, yeah. without Namath. Without Namath? Without Namath and Super Bowl three, Right. Uh, I think when they finally vote, I mean, the fans are going to vote, but I almost think you need, like, the selection committee to come in with the final because I hate to see the Steelers win it based on just the popularity of the right. Steelers still. Right. Now, the Niners are still a popular organization, no doubt, but the Steelers have this eternal popularity yep. since the early 70s. No doubt. I kind of think the catch is even more significant. I, I love the catch because it's such a clean play. Yeah. It's it's the modern no era of the NFL. There's no controversy about it. No, there's no controversy. There's well, there's was Montana throwing the ball away or not? But no. that does that's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, but Dwight Clark, great catch. Obviously passed away. Uh, the the Dallas cow. That's the end of the Cowboys dynasty yes. of the seventies. And it's the launch of the Niner dynasty. I mean, there's so much to it. How about the Cowboys are on the losing end of two of the greatest plays in NFL history? Yep. If we as we've just defined them, which. Is an honor and not. Well, depends on what you think about I the know. tuck rule, because the Raiders would be on the end of it, and they would oh, tell and also you the immaculate reception. And they would tell, and they, they would <laughs> tell you those are the two most controversial endings ever in yeah. NFL history. That's what they would tell you about those. But it's amazing to think to come to get it to just a hundred moments of the NFL well, because I, there's so many you're leaving out of that. But I do think that I do think that the the Super Bowl as we know it today was on its way. When the Packers dominated Super Bowls one and two, mm-hmm. everybody thought, "This is forget it. Why are we playing this game?" Right. But in Super Bowl three, when Namath and the Jets won, and Namath called a shot and said, "I guarantee we're going to win," that's when the Super Bowl was like, "Hey, this becomes must see television." Right. And becomes must see for everybody, and then it grew from that point forward. But it doesn't become that without Super Bowl three. I think and that's that's, that's why Namath is in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Hall of Fame because his numbers his are numbers so good. Were not good. He didn't even win that many games. Yeah. But that was an incredible year. All right, John Harris stays with us. What about the top 100 moments in Texans history? We're going to share a few of our thoughts with you on that topic and how it relates to this NFL 100 stuff. It's all coming up on Texans All Access. Keeping your company Thursday evening, Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. Great to have you listening. We are talking about the NFL 100 celebration and the league having its top 100 moments voted on by the fans. Well, we're going to have the top 100 moments in Texans history and top moments again. We're not going greatest moments necessarily. The Texans haven't won a championship yet, so you know about that. But I like this, Johnny, because our last conversation played into that two of the top moments, maybe the top moment in NFL history won't involve a Super Bowl, or yeah. maybe, the, maybe the top two won't involve a Super Bowl when right. you're talking about the catch and the immaculate reception. So I, I think this this plays into a bigger theme NFL football, it's about wins. It's about those moments. Yes, those moments of winning, but it's also about the moments within the game. You know, yep. Odell Beckham gets talked about a lot. That's a catch in the course of a game, which did they win it or not? I don't Nobody know. Remembers. I mean, you know, we talk about DeAndre Hopkins, two great catches that didn't count. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes there are moments that occur. Watt with the scoop and score here against the Colts in 2014 that set the building ablaze oh, yeah. and they didn't win the game but no one will ever forget that moment mm-hmm. I, it, you know moments have their own identity sometimes yeah. but as far as Texans top moments I think every moment that we've sort of isolated here did happen in some sort of win every on-field moment because we have a bunch of off-field yeah. moments as well but every on-field moment and you know I, I think about some of the moments and 
there are so many, and it's so hard to figure out where to rank them. You know, I, I know you put down Clowney's strip sack against Andrew Luck in 2016. Yeah. And that was a huge moment because the Colts are about to take it into the end zone and maybe take an insurmountable lead. At the time, it felt insurmountable because you didn't have Deshaun Watson. You had yep. Brock Osweiler. You weren't exactly a quick-strike <laughs> offense. So if they go up two scores, bye-bye. Oh, gosh. Uh, or it was a, a relatively even game at that point. Yeah. But Whitney Merciless recovers the fumble, and the Texans go on a field goal drive. And at the time, a field goal drive was, oh, my gosh, we got points. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. And you had a great defense at that point, I believe, number one in the league, right? Mm-hmm. At, the, at the end of the year, that's where it turned out to be. So that's a that's a top moment. But is that top 10? Is that top 20? Is that top 40? It's so hard to gauge these things well I think part of it too is just also you know having you know when it comes to a moment just what it is that that you remember about it and that what stands out to me because 2016 you know, 2016 that season's kind of all over the place in some sense but it comes down to you've got to be indie in indie for the second straight year something you've never done before yeah to beat them for two years in a row and really in that game if you remember it we're physically beating them up. And there's a mic'd up shot of of uh, Dev, Mike Devlin, talking mm-hmm. to the offensive line. And he's looking at them, and he's like, you've got them on the ropes. You've got them on the ropes. Knock them out. Physically, they can't handle you. They can't handle you. And we really run the ball all day long. Right. But all we could do was get that six-point lead. Yeah. And it was like luck brings them back down. And I'm like, we've done all this all day. We've dominated this game. And they're game, about to take the lead. And they're about to take the lead. And what I remember, what I remember most about it, he makes the Clowney makes the play, Wit gets on it, we end up winning that game, and I just remember the locker room. I want to say it may have been the first. I think it was the first time that I ever talked to JD after the game, as our player of the mm-hmm. game. And I remember, I remember him going going into the training room, and Omar had already asked him, and he said he was going to do it. And he went into the training room. He saw me. He was like. Bro, I'll be with you in a second. And it was taking him a little while in a training room. And then finally, he kind of came out the other way of the training room to go to his locker. And so I'm like, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. And then finally, Omar walks over and he goes, come on, come talk to him. And so I was just at his locker and, you know, just kind of sitting across from him. And he was really kind of taking his stuff off. He's doing the interview. And then I mentioned to him that he had beaten Dwayne Allen from Mm -hmm. Clemson. Oh, yeah. And it was like that's when he peaked up and went, yeah, you're right. It was like that got him. You know, the fact that he had beaten a guy from Clemson. Palmetto State. To get to the quarterback. And I just remember kind of the joy. Like, that was that was it. Like, that was the play where he was like, okay, I I just I made a huge play. That's what we had wanted for JD for so long. So I think it's kind of how you experience it. Like, I know Marcus Coleman, and I love Marcus. Know Marcus for a long time. That interception to me should should be pretty high, but for some people who are like, yeah, you had a hundred and two yard reception, you know, Justin Reed out on a one yard reception, you know, what's the big deal? But you know, back in two thousand four, that was the epitome of the team back then. That defense was so darn good. Right. You know, Inter- to that make a interception play like that. return for a touchdown of the Chiefs game week three oh four was a, a big deal at the time, yeah. no doubt. It wasn't a yeah. winning season, but it was a big deal at the time. But you know, we talk about the the ones that are gonna pepper the top ten, you know, walk yeah. pick six against the Bengals. Could be number one. It should be right up there if yeah. it's not. You know, Billy Miller, first touchdown team history. Yep. Uh, T.J. Yates to Kevin Walter. How about oh. being Kevin Walter? You know, Kevin Walter is a great ambassador for this team, and he's technically an ambassador for this team. We have the ambassador group, mm-hmm. and he does a terrific job at that. But it's so easy to introduce him because <laughs> he caught the most meaningful touchdown yes. pass in the history of the franchise. Yeah. 
at that moment. And, you know, you have that. And Andre Johnson didn't play in that game, which is just kind of weird to think about. That, that is strange. I mean, he played in the playoff game against the Bengals, but not that division clinch, clincher in December of 2011. And so for Walter to have – and Yates threw for 300 yards. Coach Yates threw for 300 yards in that game. But just to be part of that moment is so special. No one can ever take that away. You know, yeah. that's how it will always be known. It's an amazing play. And, and I mean, I, I, I can see – I mean, you obviously can close your eyes and you can see the play and you can see everything happening. Mm-hmm. And I always – I've always been a guy that thinks of the play before the play. Right. Like, yeah, this was a great play, but what, what got you to that point? Because I always think of the third and 15 scramble. Yeah. You know, I always think of that third and 15 scramble that he has. It was has. huge. 17-yard scramble. That just makes no sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes no sense in the world. His socks are all down by his ankles. He's just, like, all beat up. And he somehow, on third and 15, finds a way to get 17 yards on the scramble. Like, to me, that's, that's a huge moment. Like, that yeah. should be top 15 because you don't have that. I mean, you just think about everything that goes into that play. It's a rookie starting against Cincinnati on the road. That was his first road start, was it not? I that think it was. Because mm, after Jacksonville was Atlanta. That was yeah, here. Yeah, it was. I think it was his first road start. His parents are up in the nosebleeds, and they kept showing him during the TV broadcast. That, to me, should be a, a top 20 moment, right? You can have two of them from that same game because it's so unlikely that that, that moment becomes – as big as it was. And I, you know, if we're going top plays, they should not be together, obviously. They're separate plays. Are they the same moment? I yeah, don't maybe. Know. I don't maybe know. Maybe so. I don't know. That, that thing maybe went so, so fast. They had no timeouts. They had 80 yards to go, and they, and they beat the Bengals. What else would be in there, though? What else would be in I, that top ten? Well, the franchise. Just getting the franchise. The yep. moment the franchise in Houston that Bob McNair got the mm-hmm. thumbs up. You got the franchise. The 32nd franchise in Houston uh, is in Houston. October 6th, 1999, yep. and it's the 20th anniversary this mm-hmm. year. So that's going to be interesting as that, well. And I think we play in that day, right? Do we not? Yeah, Somewhere around Atlanta, that I believe. So that's, there you go. That's, that's well, it's I would be a big day. Get ready for big, big things to happen that day. That, that's all I'll say. To me, well, there is, there's, there's none of us. There's not you and I. There's, there's, there's none of this. If that thing is if not awarded. If that doesn't happen. If that doesn't That's, happen, you know you you want to talk about butterfly effect. This the L A gets the franchise. Where is everybody? Yeah, <laughs> where is everybody? Because no, everyone still exists. No doubt. Well, I mean, I think about it all the Does time. Does Bob because, McNair eventually bring an NHL team to Houston? As he looked into that, at, you know, one point in in life. Does what? he bring an NHL team? The Houston Texans. Oh, that would look pretty cool on a goalie mask. A I would look pretty sweet. I will. There is. Oh, this is such a totally an aside, but. There is a company, they make hoodies, but they look like hockey sweaters. Ooh. And they've got one for Hopkins. It is no. cool. i got to show it to you. It's really so they, cool. So it's like bootlegging NFL looks? No, no. They've got NFL license. They've oh, got they the NFL license. I'll have to show it to you. It's okay. amazing. And they've got Texan shoes, which uh, sneakers, which is incredible. But I think about that a lot because I'm thinking, if we don't have the Texans, do we end up with a fourth radio station, which ended up being my radio station, 1560 oh, yeah. to start? Maybe not. Probably not. If that doesn't happen, I'm not. I'm not back here. I don't come back here. So I mean, there's so. Here's many, another one for you. Do the, the Chargers move here eventually, or are you, or do the Rams, the Houston Rams, does Houston. something like does something like that happen? Because L. A. already has a team. The Rams can't go back now. Oh, maybe. So in all likelihood. So where are these other teams going? I mean, that that just what it goes to show you is how that moment 
as as simple as uh, you got the you got the team. Thirty it, it, as simple as it seems that it's you know not on the field. It's not a play. It's mm-hmm. not any of that. It's not a player. That moment to me is probably, in my opinion, has got to be. It's got to be. It's right one. up there, if not number one. It's number one. I mean, you know what what turned into what with the pick six. Yeah. You know, Andre makes the catch against Washington. I mean, now well, that's a big moment, but that's, that's not that's a top five, I would think. No, but, but it's close. It's a it's a tremendous moment play. A moment we'll never forget. That's what's funny about all this, this kind of talk. There are certain things you'll never forget, yeah. and the context does matter in some cases. In others, it almost doesn't because you'll never forget Andre making that catch and how you felt at that particular time. And, oh, yeah, they did win that game. And I think and what, what, what happened that season? Oh, never mind at the end. But that was really cool at the time to go 2-0. What's amazing is when this organization wins a Super Bowl, right. all the moments we're talking about, Except for, except I mean, the, the ones we're talking about, these are obviously moments that people are going to remember because they've been fans for a long time. Oh, you're going to get a lot of replacing, though. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in New England, if you're a Patriots fan and you did this around 1998, right. you know, you're like, what are the moments for the Patriots? Oh, go to the Super Bowl in 85. Yeah. Nobody even thinks about going to the Super Bowl in 85 anymore. Yeah, and it I remember even, that. It doesn't even register mm-hmm. because they've got, obviously, all the rings. So when this organization starts winning championships, those things will sort of fall in line. And I think when that happens – I start thinking about what those moments will be like when it does happen, and, and hopefully it, it happens sooner than later. But a moment where you clinch a divisional playoff game to get to the AFC Championship game. Then the moment you clinch the AFC Championship game, where you, you, know, I thought you about, get victory I thought that about game. that. Whether I, it's a fourth down stop and then you can take a kneel down or whatever the case yeah, may be. I did the wrong thing because I thought about that in Philly. I okay. thought about that in Philly because – when Deshaun hit Vincent for that touchdown, and I'll never forget, Vincent Vincent goes down a kickoff team mm-hmm. on the very next play, and so the tackle is made deep in their territory, and they're coming off the field, and it just so happened that Vincent was coming off the field and literally like coming right at me. And I just gave him this huge – and I saw this smile come on his face that I had not seen. He was so excited. You thought I was they like, had it. I was like <laughs> – Got this. We did this. We're gonna get the bye. We're gonna play in divisional round. We're sixty minutes away from oh, going gosh. to. Oh gosh! I did. I did it. You did the whole thing. I did the whole thing. I did the whole thing. Now it's I stopped your myself. Fault. I stopped myself because I looked out there and I went, "That's a Super Bowl MVP." This okay, but you know what's what's incredible? Ten. That moment to me would have been amazing <laughs> because I remember there was a TV timeout, and I remember J. Joe was getting dressed to go back in the game. Yeah. They ran a second helmet out to Zach Cunningham so that Zach could put the coach calm. So Zach has two helmets. Yep. He's got one he wears when he's with BMAC, and he's got one that he wears when he's right. out there on his, on his own. So I was like, this moment is going to be so cool because this will be the epitome of the defense coming up with one drive, one stop at the end when they've been just beaten up all day. And it didn't happen. They were so a little too beat up. They were a little too beat up. But yep. it's going to be fun to go through and look at all the different moments and players and all the different things that have happened. Even though we're the youngest franchise in the league, there's still a lot of great things that we can pull out. So I'm really happy to be part of this NFL 100 celebration. It's going to be really cool. I can't wait. Thanks, Johnny. You got it, Mark. Thank you. From John Harris, we'll go to John McClain. The general joins us in the next segment. Looking forward to hearing his thoughts on the rookies reporting and what to expect. And also, I will tell you my most prevalent memory of rookie camp for the Houston Texans. And I think you'll find it interesting. In fact, that's not good enough. I know you'll find it interesting. Stick around. It's Texans Radio. Welcome back to Texans All Access, the show that takes you inside NRG Stadium here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer with you, joined by the general from the Houston Chronicle, John McClain. 
And, John, the rookies are in the building. Here we go. It's almost like this is, even though the players were reported for offseason conditioning April 15th, this feels so real to have the draft choices and other guys in the building. Mark, it's because they, there's such a buildup to the draft going back to during the season when we hear about them, then it eats up at the combine and, and then the pro days. And then when it's finally here, it builds to a crescendo. And the next step, of course, is to get them on the field so everybody can check them out. Well, and they get on the and field tomorrow. I think that's it. There's an excitement, not just uh, in the city, but specifically uh, at the stadium because they're going to be on the field at Houston Methodist Training Center for at least two days. And and there's not a whole lot you can tell, but one thing you can tell is when guy run, guys run pass routes, and when guys have to turn and run and cover, there's no hitting, of course, no pads. But just seeing the guys in person, the only one we've seen was Titus Howard when he came in for his news conference the day after he was drafted in the first round. So to me, it's almost like this is the official start of the offseason program and the OTAs are the second phase. Well, I can tell you this. I've seen a bunch of the guys, and I met Max Sharping already, and he is a large individual. That's my scouting report on Sharping. He is a large individual. So whatever that means going forward. But, John, when we talk about position groups, they've got competition, and that's a good thing. When you look at the secondary, Johnny and I did a breakdown on the secondary yesterday. But let's talk about the offensive line because they do have some options here. You never know how it's all going to shake out with injuries and competition, but it's good to have some options, and they have more options than a lot of people realize. They signed left tackle Matt Khalil. He missed last season with Carolina with that knee injury, and so he's been there since he was released by Carolina to save money under the cap. And he came in here, and they were able to work him out. And then uh, he passed the physical, of course. And he's been undergoing rehab over there since uh, they signed him. And he also uh, was talking about when we interviewed him that he saw things there as far as rehab and strength in rehab that he hadn't seen in Minnesota and Carolina. So you hope that Matt Khalil is healthy because he gives them another option at left tackle along with returning starter Julian Davenport and number one pick Titus Howard. The good thing about Chantrell Henderson, he doesn't need to rehab anymore. He's ready to go. He's been cleared. So he's the starter at right tackle. Max Sharping will compete with him. So you had last year, you had Julian Davenport, Kendall Lamb as the starters, and now you've added three new ones in Matt Khalil, Titus Howard, and Max Sharping, and so the competition should heat up. They also have Martinez Rankin, who I think will start at left guard, but he's back, and he doesn't have any injury issues like he did when he got here last year and had to undergo surgery. So there's a lot of competition, and there's more talent. John, what rookie are you most looking forward to seeing in action, whether it be OTAs or training camp when we finally get there? Well, I'll say in the, the rookie minicamp, the one I'm most eager to see is Kahali Waring, tight end, third-round pick. They didn't need a tight end. They already had four on the roster, but the fact that he was rated so high by them, I'm guessing he was rated like a second-round pick on their board, and he was there when they picked it third round. They took him. And that the, as Brian Gain admitted, that's the best athlete uh, theory. And so I can't wait to see him because we will get to see him run routes and how he catches the ball. And
And the other one, Johnny Dixon, the receiver from Ohio State, they gave him more signing bonus and guaranteed money than they usually do because they have a lot of competition for the fourth receiver. And you know, Mark, when he was a junior, he had, I can't remember if it was eight or nine touchdowns, but he averaged 31 yards a touchdown. And then he had 17 touchdowns as a junior and senior at Ohio State. He only started five games. And he runs in the four threes. So I can't wait to see him line up and watch him blow off the line of scrimmage and then see uh, Lonnie Johnson and Xavier Crawford, the second and sixth round picks, how they turn and run and keep up with a fast guy like that. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. We all want to see Tim Kelly's work as offensive coordinator, how this collaboration is going to go with Bill O'Brien. Uh, but the thing is, we're not really going to get a good look at that until opening night, Monday night football against the Saints because of the preseason stuff. Carl Smith, we might get a better sample of what he's doing with Deshaun Watson through training camp practices and preseason, maybe even OTAs. Your thoughts on that subject? Tim Kelly will will have a role with uh, Watson as well. And Bill O'Brien and, and Watson have a great relationship. You know, Bill oversees the offense, and Carl Smith will take the place of Sean Ryan. When he comes off the field, he'll go over and sit next to Carl. He'll go over things that he's seen. And what we'll know about Carl Smith is when Watson tells us about it because, you know, he's it, at some point we'll be interviewing Carl. We'll all be asking him about coaching Russell Wilson, watching his development and the comparison of the two. That's two pretty good quarterbacks for him to coach at this late stage of his career. And it, we're not going to see anything really uh, until they play a preseason game or until they start hitting each other in the joint practices against Green Bay and Detroit. I would rather see joint practices and one-on-one drills and corners going up and safeties going up against receivers tight ends than I would a preseason game where you get mostly backups. But uh, we'll see athleticism in the off-season program, but we won't see a lot of – we're not going to see any hitting. So you're not going to see much from the offensive linemen. You can watch them drop into pass protection. You can certainly do pass protection, yeah, which is what they need the most. And um, it's just fun to familiarize yourself with new players, whether it is draft choices, undrafted free agents, veteran free agents, no matter how they came, they're new, and we all want to see them. John, I want you to weigh in on something that John Harris and I were talking about in the first couple of segments. With NFL 100, the 100th anniversary of the league, they're going to have a countdown to the top 100 moments. And the top couple of moments, we'll see what they might be. But in your opinion, is it the catch? Is it the immaculate reception? Is it the 58 game? What's the best? Or give me a couple of the best moments or top moments in the history of the league, and then we'll get it to the Texans. It's going to be hard to beat the first overtime in a championship in which Alan Amici scored a touchdown for the Colts to beat the Giants. That game was the foundation of the NFL's popularity. When it overcame the popularity of college football, took off, got TV's attention, got two whippersnappers, Lamar Hunt and Bud Adams, interested in buying franchises and trying to get in the NFL. And, of course, they started the AFL two years later. And that's going to be hard to beat that. And it's going to be some of the great – to me, it's got to win a championship to be at the top. 
like the Immaculate Reception. And if it's got a great nickname like that, Mark, it's going to get a lot of attention. But I would think the game that helped make catapult the NFL to be the most popular sport with two teams loaded with Hall of Famers, that that one is going to be number one. Where does the ice bowl fit in, in your opinion, in all this? The ice bowl, of course, is one of the most famous games. It was not a great game, but because of the circumstances and the Packers with Lombardi and the Cowboys with Tom Landry, Cowboys trying to win their first championship. Of course, Bard Starr's quarterback sneaked to win the game. That'll be one up right up there as well. And I think they also they'll have to do something from – you know, recent years, say in the last 10 games. You know, there was like Adam Vinatieri winning Super Bowls for the Patriots. That's big. You know, they've won in overtime in two Super Bowls. But those games don't have nicknames. And I would think, too, one of the greatest plays, still I think the greatest catch I've ever seen, was Eli Manning in the Super Bowl in which it wasn't even a touchdown to David Tyree made the incredible catch over battling Rodney Harrison. And, of course, Eli threw the game-winning touchdown to Plaxico Burris. But to me, that was one of the biggest plays in history that set up the Giants' first Super Bowl victory since Bill Parcells was the coach. You know, when we talk about this, there are so many, and I've been privileged to either cover a lot of them or to watch them on TV. Johnny and I came up with some interesting stuff. For instance, immaculate reception, the tuck rule. That's not a great moment, but it's a big, significant moment in the in terms of launching a dynasty with the Patriots. And when you talk about the ice bowl and the catch, those are both against the Cowboys. And the tuck rule and the immaculate reception against the Raiders. It's kind of interesting when you think about it that way. I think that it'll be the, the Colts overtime victory over the Giants. And I think it'll be the catch because it signaled the end of one dynasty and the start of another. And I don't think they'll have the top three will be involved in the Cowboys. And then the other one I think is the immaculate reception because, you know, the Raiders had the Steelers beaten at Three Rivers Stadium. And then Franco Harris caught the ricochet. It was a very controversial play. Rules were different back then. Offensive players couldn't touch it two consecutive times and, so uh, I think those will end up being the top three. All right. So we also have the top moments in Texans history, and they don't have to be plays. In other words, Johnny thought the birth of the franchise when they got awarded the franchise in fall of 99 might have been a top moment or the top moment even. What are your thoughts on the Texans list? Well, I think there would be nothing else if you didn't have that. And of course, that, that's got to be the best moment when Bob McNair was granted the franchise in Atlanta. But, you know, to me, if you go back to top moments, it's hard to beat T.J. Yates' touchdown pass to Kevin Walter in Cincinnati to win that first division title. That that There's a lot of big moments and a lot of great plays and some like the Rosencopter, which were significant, but it was it was a terrible thing for the Texans. But the first touchdown from David Carr, and I just – but it, I just that first winning that first division and the circumstances on the road with a third string rookie quarterback throwing it that's hard to beat. All right, John, what do you have going out of the Houston Chronicle for us? Well, we got uh, stories about uh, the draft choices signing, getting ready to go on the field for the rookies, and then we'll have stories all weekend. I'll have a column on Sunday, something to have to do with the rookie mini camps, and I'll have a 
I'll have a Texans mailbag posted on Texas Sports Nation on Friday morning. Thank you very much, Mark. There he is, the General John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. Now, a couple of things on the way out. I said I'd do this, and let's do it. It's rookie camp start time tomorrow, and I said I'd share my most prevalent memories of rookie camp. Now, I remember, and many of you have forgotten this, maybe you didn't know it at all, but the expansion year for the Houston Texans, before even the rookies got here, they were able to practice as a team. Not only did they have that new head coach thing, but they were an expansion team, so they had all these rules that enabled them to practice really early in the off season, And it was the old CBA too. So go figure. But I got here April one. And I want to say just a couple of days in, they were practicing. I went to the bubble and Ben Sankey was playing quarterback for the Texans. He was out of Wake Forest. They had all these guys, street free agents that they signed. They had a whole squad out there. They might've had 60, 70 players out there and eventually chopped that down, got the draft choices in, got the undrafted free agents from the draft class in and change things around a whole lot. Another rookie camp memory. This one is from 2013, and it plays into what's going on today because we're having all this rain right now. There was a tremendous storm the first day of this one, I recall. It was in the bubble, and Case Keenum was the star of the show. There were a lot of players out there, but Keenum, who was with the team in 2012, and he was on the practice squad. I remember him running routes and playing defensive back as a practice squad player, was finally emerging as a quarterback. This was the first sign you saw in this rookie camp in 2013 that he could possibly do it at an NFL level. And it was just kind of interesting. The other QB was Colin Klein, I believe, from Kansas State. So that one kind of sticks out in my mind as well. And yet another. How about another two for you? Andre Johnson, 2003 drafted third overall, had a couple of drops in rookie camp, and he said Dave Ragone, left-handed quarterback, the ball's coming out differently. It's funny, the rotation, whatever. It was kind of interesting to hear him with that perspective, but he definitely made some plays out there and led you to believe that he was going to be a great NFL player. It happened. DeAndre Hopkins, 2013 camp as well. I said that Keenan was the star of the show of that one, but I spoke too soon because DeAndre Hopkins caught everything. He caught everything and showed you those Spider-Man skills that you see today. And it was an interesting thing to see him, his first action on an NFL field. And you thought, man, this guy's not a top five pick, but he's playing like it and certainly has throughout his career. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. want to thank everyone for contributing. Thank you, John Harris, John McClain. We'll be on tomorrow to talk about what goes down. Rookie camp. Day 1, 2019. Looking forward to that. Don't forget, Saturday night, 11 o'clock, ABC 13. It's Texans 360. I'll be on this one, a show you should be watching. Check out all the social media platforms on the Houston Texans and HoustonTexans.com. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans!